listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers from faith leaders to academics to artists to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Joan Ryan and Andrea Watson. A resident of Taos since 2009, Joan Ryan is the author of the poetry collection Dark Ladies and Other Avatars, and who is currently working on a potpourri of love poems and recipes, tentatively titled Aphrodisia. And Andrea Watson is the founding publisher and editor of Three Ataos Press, an independent publishing house dedicated to honouring and fostering the work of writers of all cultures and faiths. And together, they are co-authors of Blood Secrets, an anthology of poems about the hidden Jews of New Mexico. So Joan and Andrea, welcome, welcome to our show. Thank you, Thank Rabbi, you, Rabbi Neil. Neil. So um, let's start with, um, maybe with Joan. Joan, maybe you, could you give us a quick review of the historical background of hidden Jews of New Mexico? Tell us how they got here, and, and that will lead us into this poetic work. Certainly. Uh, these secret or hidden Jews, many had no inkling of their Semitic background at all and, uh, for generations, came to New Mexico from Spain, where their ancestors probably first settled soon after the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD. And at times they were treated very well or better here than in other places in Europe. From the 8th to the early 12th century, when Spain uh, was under Moorish rule, they were free to own property, practice their professions, and uh, even hold high public office. And as children of the book, they were officially under the uh, protection of their Islamic rulers. Mm. Then from the 12th to 14th century, when the northern Christian kingdoms were regaining control, Muslims, Jews, and Christians lived together in what was called convivienza, uh, comparatively comfortably. But by the end of the 14th century, their world was changing radically. Christian friars began preaching against Jews as Christ killers and money lenders. And in Barcelona and other large cities, clergy-led mobs burned Jewish neighborhoods, slaughtered hundreds of Jews, and forcibly baptized the rest. Then bubonic plague, to make matters worse, erupted in about right. 1348 and, over the, and kept going, killing at least a quarter of Spain's population. And at the, about the same time, we had what was called a little ice age in Europe, and the very cold weather destroyed the crops and, uh, and left people st starving, and the peasants blamed these calamities on the Jews mm. and the more mass slaughters and forced conversions continued. Um, by the 15th century, Jews were forbidden to own property, follow traditional uh, um, professions, or go out in public without yellow badges. And then with the establishment of the Spanish Inquisition in 1478, things got even worse. Right. Uh, their duty was to stamp out heresy. And while they weren't concerned with Jews who never converted, any Jew who had converted, even if it was at 
with a throat, uh, sword held to his or her throat um, was considered a Jew and liable to this charge, right. which was punishable by death. And we had this extraordinary idea of being a Murano, wasn't it? The, the swine. Uh, yes, swine. The... That, your word, that word was used, uh, that was used for the conversos, right. for the converts. And uh, some of the converts were true converts. Right. Others were just had converted for business or social reasons or just to protect themselves. Um, anyhow. Uh, well, what was the, it that brought them here, though? Well, in the reign of, that, that's what I'm coming to right now. The yeah. reign of Ferdinand and Isabella, uh, they, uh, they were banished from Spain. All Jews were banished from Spain as of August 2nd, 1492. And it's fascinating, and, isn't it? Because in American culture, 1492 is celebrated in a particular yes. way or commemorated for other communities. In the Jewish community, 1492 was a terrible time. Well, a few years later, um, a lot of Jews joined expeditions to Mexico, which was the center of the Spanish New World at the time. And there was no, ex uh, um, there was no Inquisition there. And they got along pretty well there until... 1571, I think, when the Inquisition came into the New World and started rooting out, uh, rooting out hidden Jews. And in, uh, there was a huge auto de fe uh, towards the end of the century when, I think it was 95, when uh, I think 30 people were burned to death. And at that point, a lot of people had the idea, we better get the heck out of right, here. Right. And they went northwards to Nuevo uh, Mexico, where there was no ex uh, inquisition. I really uh, appreciate that history. Uh, I guess that leads us into this book, doesn't it? Um, yes. You know, and a question for Andrea, I guess. You know, what gives you the idea? What gave you the idea of creating an anthology of poems about these hidden Jews who have gone all the way and had to hide again? Uh, I first became interested in the history of the crypto Jews and conversos when I came upon a book by Stanley Hordes to the end of the earth, detailing the time of the Inquisition in Spain with its theme of the testing of the lives of the Jewish people in the late 15th century. I was honored to spend a small amount of time with Stanley, who was gracious in answering questions and providing historical perspectives. I also discovered a book by Carrie Hertz, New Mexico's Crypto-Jews, Image and Memory, that offered glimmers into the descendants of the Crypto-Jews who now live in northern New Mexico in the San Luis Valley via essays and photographs of certain camposantos, or graveyards, in which there were headstones carrying unusual symbols of seven-branched candelabras mm -hmm. and six-pointed stars, although the graveyard was traditionally Catholic. I also spoke with numerous people in New Mexico who maintained unexplained traditions in their family. These traditions were lighting candles on Friday night, right. having a hidden scroll inside a the statue of the Madonna, baking a braided bread, and sweeping the house from door to middle of the room to avoid placing dirt near what was historically a mezuzah. I also thought it was important to have as our third partner in the book, Anita Rodriguez, whose family has an enormously long history in Taos and who wrote of both local and personal history in search for her own roots. I, I, and it's fascinating for me because about once every two years or so, I have someone who comes to me with a story like yes. this. 
you know, uh, who says, Grandpa just died. And before he died, he whispered to me, by the way, you're Jewish. Don't tell anyone. Um, and they did, and they had no idea. And then they, they're suddenly asking me, is this why we make a braided bread on a Friday? Is this why we light two candles? We thought this was a Catholic custom. Is this why, you know, great grandpa has a star on their tombstone? It, it's fascinating that this, thankfully, this there's, there's community of hidden Jews is now coming out and being able to express themselves more, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I, so, so then, I mean, Joan, you're, you're an Ashkenazi Jew. You're, you're, a, you're an Ash, so the, we have different kinds of Jews, Ashkenazi Jew, Sephardi Jew, Mizrahi Jew. Ashkenazi Jews tending to be from Germany, that sort of area, Poland, Sephardi Jews from Spanish, France, that sort of area. And there's a mixture, Mizrahi Jews from, from um, the Middle East, essentially. Um, how does an Ashkenazi woman from New York get involved in writing a book of poetry about Sephardi Jews? Well, my first interest came about rather unusually from the rather scrumptious combinations of meats, fruits, uh, and uh, spices like cumin, saffron, turmeric, uh, dishes that my great-aunt Edith from Chile uh, Obviously, I didn't know at the time, but she was a Sephardic Jew, brought to our holiday parties. And I just fell in love with Sephardic cooking, which I explored knowing, more knowingly later on. And many years later, right before I moved to Taos, when I was busily researching recipes for a fancy Seder, uh, I came across uh, a recipe for matzah in a book called A Drizzle of Honey mm-hmm. at, by a woman named Angelina from Leon who uh, who was burned at the stake in 1503 when a disgruntled maid reported her to the Inquisition wow. for cooking such food. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. That, that leads you, but, what, but why poetry particularly? Well, uh, the recipe led me to the both most beautiful, ma- uh, delicious matzah I ever tasted and a deepening interest of the Jews. And it also, um, I wrote a poem about it, right? Which, if you Sure, if you want okay. to share that, please. Yeah. Bread of Affliction, Angelina de Leon, Spain, 1503. In haste, I roll and prick coarse rounds to bake unleavened, like the bland white wafers placed upon my tongue in the chapel where I kneel, as we conversos must to live here in Leon. These flatbreads are made in haste, in memory of the flight and to evade Maria's glance as she carts in wood or lights our fire. For zealous eyes are everywhere, and our common foods, a simple stew with mint or chard or the green gold oil we've pressed since desert time, betray us. A servant's word, a neighbor's whiff of saffron or cilantro is all it takes to bring us in. In Aragon, the king's own minister was seized for eating chickpeas at his Friday meal. He went into the fire. So why for this dry bread will I, Angelina, risk the flames when so easily I bend my knee and have each child sprinkled at the font? I only know the smell of egg and honey comfort me. It was my mother's and her mother's way. I think it's an extraordinary poem. I think for me, as someone outside this experience, 
for me, I, my first question is a historical one, actually. When you say in Aragon, the king's own minister was seized for eating chickpeas at his Friday meal. Is that a historical? That's a historical fact. That was also from uh, Drizzle of Honey, and there was a recipe for chickpeas in the book, too. But um, when, I, I, when I started, uh, um, th- this it was not this... The food was not the main impetus for the book. I uh, actually brought the poem to Taos, where I read it in in a poetry group that included Andrea, who invited me to be part of the book. And that's how the the poem... But it it was really a much more serious concern that that sort of chose the direction of my section. And when I started, just about when I started writing it, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And because of my Jewish heritage, my oncologist asked me to take a test for a Jewish mutation, or Allel, most often found among Ashkenazi Jews. The gene variation makes breast and other female cancers especially common and especially virulent. So I started reading up on this BRC or BRCA, um, uh, 187-LL, and found out that the variant had very recently been discovered in a number of Catholic women living in the San Luis Valley, which is on the Colorado-New Mexico border, just about an hour from Taos. And uh, the more the variant was investigated, the more probable it became that these women were the descendants of secret Jews or forced converts from Mexico who had long ago settled in this area, but for the most part had lost all knowledge of any Hebrew ancestry. And I was absolutely struck by this irony of discovering that one carries the blood of God's chosen people. It's, a, it's an extraordinary way of, of science coming in and affecting and changing. I, I'm, I'm so moved by this. We have to take a pause. Um, when we come back, I want to also ask Andrea about the research that you did and and how, because we're talking about researching science and we're talking about other kinds of research into, into people themselves. So we need to take a pause though. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil from Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. My guests this evening, Joan Ryan and Andrea Watson, co-authors of Blood Secrets. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Bar Shalom in Santa Fe. My guests this evening, Joan Ryan and Andrea Watson, co-authors of Blood Secrets, which is an extraordinary anthology of poetry. And you've been sharing with me some of the with us some of the history of what led you here uh, and what led to this poetry. So maybe Andrea, you know, what about some of the research that you did? What what did you have to research to, to write this? Uh, my section of Blood Secrets unfolds the unimagined lives of two young women who carry a mystical connection. Rina, which is actually my own Hebrew name, ah. who lives through the terror of the Inquisition in Spain, and Reina, 
who exists in northern New Mexico hundreds of years later. I learned very early in the process of writing that to connect two women who live 500 years apart required extensive research. I read countless historical books, both fiction and nonfiction, focusing on Girona, Spain, which was greatly impacted by the Spanish Inquisition. I also read books on northern New Mexico in the mid-20th century. It was important to know large and small details of the existences of the imagined women, habits of their daily lives, food in medieval markets, clothing. For example, a wedding dress during the time of the Inquisition was not white, it was rose gold. Flowers and fruits of the two gardens in the book. What was the wedding ceremony of a crypto-Jewish family in medieval times versus a modern traditional Spanish Catholic wedding. Mm. And I also forced myself, and I know Joan did, to read terrible things, such as the questioning torture and killings of innocent Jewish people during the Inquisition. Even the names of the two young women had to pair. I chose Rita, Rina for the young girl of 500 years ago, mm. and I also chose Reina, which is queen, because the names sounded alike. And I, and I love the connection between the two, the way that you're bridging these generations but bridging there's a a bridge almost of pain and celebration I think is what I read in in part of this is that how you were writing it or is that just my reading of this no I did celebrate the lives of someone who survived the inquisition uh, with part of her family her father in my imagination of course was killed Um, and also that a young girl 500 years later finds a locket in a trastero um and realize that it's been handed down by generations of women. And Locket is one of the poems, isn't yes. it? So fascinating poem. Do you yes. have? Do you want to share that one? Yes. Locket, locket, unlock, lock. If you are the goldmaker's daughter, then yours is gem, locket, necklace, key, unlocket, falter. How could father be this reckless? Dream beyond prayer to need. Choose a ruby so precious. It welds up as the truth and bleeds. The key marking his pride must stay hidden. Heed what one heart half shows inside. Engraving of his secret, each point a star with six watchful eyes. Tell tell us about the star with six watchful eyes. What did Um, that mean to you? uh, The gold makers of that time contrived for uh, secret Jews a very plain locket, plain in the front, and yet, if you had a key or a pin, you would push it in the back, and it would open into a six-pointed star. So they were able to maintain their Jewish identity while also not announcing it to people who might be terrorizing them. It's quite extraordinary to, be, to have researched so, in so much depth to be able to know of these sort of secret hidden customs, which, ironically, 500 years later their descendants didn't even know that they may mm-hmm. be Jewish. Yes. I, and I, I find that really fascinating just on a, a psychological level and, and on a historical level that you've been able to unearth this almost as a reclaiming. Yes, I would say a reclaiming, yes. Uh, let me ask, Joan, I mean, we've only got about eight, eight minutes or so left. You were talking about this, this gene. Yes. And this mutation, essentially. How do, how do you turn science into poetry? Well, I will try to uh, read you a poem and give you an example. Go on. BRCA anomaly. Even earlier than you'd imagine, 
long before the conflagration spread from embers of the Huderia in Seville to auto-de-fe and expulsion. No, back even further, before the diaspora brought the children of Judah and Benjamin to Granada. In the years when Herod's temple stood on the mountain in Jerusalem, not yet burned by Vespasian's legions, and the court of the women thrummed with music and dance, the mutation occurred. You might call it a copying error, no more than a typo, as a germ cell divided. The random change of one gene on the 17th chromosome of an egg or sperm that helped form a Hebrew child. Oh my. Uh, I, I think, can I? I'm sorry. That, I, that's okay. Because even just from that, even just from oh, here that. Here it is. You wanna, oh, do you want to keep going? Go on. I'm sorry. Don't a small deadly allele that makes breast cells less able to, per, to repair DNA damage. The genetics counselor explained, passed down to descendants for centuries, even to daughters of New Mexico's high mountain villages, baptized and confirmed, whose first sign of this ancient nodule is on, uh, ancient heritage hmm. is only a nodule the size of a rosary bead. And what an extraordinary way to end that with the nodule the size of a rosary bead. I yeah. mean, you're deliberately, as, as I read it, deliberately twisting that uh, deliberately taking that, I mean, I guess the way I read it is cancerous. I mean, let's be let's be clear what we're talking about here. Yes, this is, this is a cancerous cell, right? But it's but it's almost the way I'm reading this. And correct me if this is not your intention in this text. Was this is a cancerous mutation? But you're talking about also a sort of spiritually cancerous to the person who is Jewish who has to hide it. That's how I read it. Am I reading too much into it? Uh, I think that what you're, I don't think that I quite intended it okay. that strongly. Okay. But okay. I think that's very good reading. Oh, okay. <laughs> which, yeah. which is unlike me for poetry. So that's, that's good, I guess. Um, I, I, so, again, I'm, I'm so struck by the, not just the historical research, but the scientific research that goes into this, that turns it into poetry, that makes it alive in a different way. I, for me, it's very moving to be able to hear this. Uh, I, I mean, Andrea, we've got just a few minutes left. Um, I, I mean, you have uh, other poems as well. Do you want to share one more maybe yes. that, that yes. And, and, and why this one? Uh, when the Jewish people were expelled from Spain, yep. uh, they were only permitted to take with them one piece of furniture. And so you can imagine trying to load a ship with that amount of furniture. So this is the Trostero that is passed down, and the poem is Make of this altar a secret prayer. Rumored to be a Trostero, fashioned of hands blessed by God. From carving board to carving, four doors with intricate tracery, sunbursts yet unforeseen clouds, braid work frieze at top or below, mortise and tenon joints, simple and strong. Let me imagine a hidden world inside. In one drawer, needful things, glass, beaded pins, needle case of bone, leather thimble or eyelet all, lucette for circles of lace. In another, all things prideful, linens folded and laced with valerian, amphoras scented oil, tasseled silk, small pearl buttons, silk scarf loomed twice, and in one hidden drawer, a locket. I like to think this cabinet is benediction, transported from house to house, room to room, always placed with daughters and their daughters, 
then and now, a vault of heaven upon this modest earth. What, what leads you to write that poem? Why, what resonates in you to write that? That we all have relics or hand-me-down heirlooms, and sometimes we just put them in a drawer and don't appreciate them. And this young girl, 500 years later, found a locket and then wanted to know why. Why, maybe this is a question for the two of you. Why this book now? Why, why did you feel the need to write it? Why do you think it's important now? Either one of you, or both of you indeed. Well, so many people are discovering their Judaic heritage. And uh, some of them feel that they must return to their Jewish roots, and others are very happy just going on, continuing their lives. And we just felt it was it, 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 in New Mexico, and especially in Taos, where we live, that this was happening to people around us. We knew we had friends, and we were just involved in the processes that they were going through. Interesting. And we also attended a convention um, for the Society of Crypto-Jews, um, and we, it sort of began my, my continuing research on the subject. And I just learned the other day that Jeannie Milgram, who is a, um, her family, I believe, were conversos or crypto-Jews, has met with the Pope to get from him things that other people would not have given them about the history of certain people, not only in her family, uh, but of crypto-Jews in general. And so he has released, or is going to release, some, many of the records where other people did not. That's extraordinary. I, I think... My question about why this book now, and you've definitely answered part of that, but in the final minute or two, but why poetry? Why express it in this particular way? And you can say it's Taos, it's Santa Fe, but, but uh, it's New Mexico. But why poetry specifically? Why not art? Why not history? Why have you expressed it so eloquently in poetic form? Um, I've been a poet since I was probably five years old. And poetry has two distinct things that lend themselves to this topic which is time and space. It takes an enormous amount of time to research and work on a poem, and the space is, in, is inevitably condensed so that their lives were certainly condensed and the story of their lives. So to me, it had to be poetry. Joan, your final thought. Why, why poetry for this? Because, as Andrea said, simply because I am a poet. That is the medium that I like to write in the most. And I believe that it can say the most in the most, conden in the most condensed space. I, I so appreciate the two of you coming all the way from Taos to come to us to, to share this really fascinating, really engaging work. I, I call it a work. It's, to me, it's not just a book. It's a work. It's a, it's a, a history. It's poetry. It's research. It's everything. It's, it's a very moving read. So I want to thank both Joan Ryan and Andrea Watson, um, co-authors of Blood Secrets. I really want to thank you both for coming on to our show today. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. It's been a joy. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom, and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.